Hello, this is Gist with OJA, and I am your favorite host, O to the J to the A. Welcome to another episode of my victory story. But before we continue, how has your match been? Mine has been spoofing, and I hope we are still on track with our goals for the year. You know, sometimes we don't have to see results, but what we have to keep doing is to keep pushing and keep trying. I pray all our efforts get rewarded brilliantly. So, to our victory story, I have a very beautiful guest today, another Victor. But I would quickly love to go on this break before she comes on. back to gist with oja is it just me or this background song makes me really <laughs> emotional okay so my guest is here she's a psychologist she's the founder of echoes foundation a not-for-profit organization that offers therapy and resources for change to victims of abuse she's a survivor of rape and sexual molestation but has found purpose out of this very unpleasant situation Welcome to this podcast, Oluwa Funke Ajoba. Thank you so much for coming to GIST with OJA. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Amazing. Okay, um, while I was checking your bio, I noticed that you are the founder of Echoes Foundation, a not-for-profit organization that offers therapy and resources for change to victims of abuse. So, oh, yeah. let's quickly um, go back a little bit. How, why did you, um, why, how did you come about this organization? Okay, okay, that's a little bit of history. So, um, it was during my second semester when I was getting my associates in, um, in psychology. And... Um, I've kind of like been crushed by my past experiences, but that wasn't um, good enough for me to start a non-for-profit anyways. But then I was intentional about my journey, about purpose and everything. So I started praying to God for clarity. Um, It's just started praying to God for clarity with fast, with prayer, with just stay in the space of prayer. And um, then I just started feeling it in my spirit. And I was like, okay, there's no way this would work because to start with, I'm not interested in all of this. It doesn't look like this is me. But, you know, it just kept coming. And a couple of friends would call, we prayed together, and there was, like, continuous confirmation. And then I'm like, wow. I mean, of everything that I could have decided to be or God could have made me become, yes, really, it's a lot. But then um, I, I just kept being intentional about it. And then um, after being in the first um, place of prayer, being intentional about all of this, I finally sat down, um, you know, you know, because, you know, God gives us wisdom, Holy Spirit helps us. I started to think about it. I drafted a plan. I drafted out the mission, the vision, you know, the objectives and the aim. And then I thought about it. And then I thought about God's intentionality. It only makes sense that somebody who has been a victim of abuse for a very long time 
then you know starting up this thing it's actually intentional because then i know how it feels um secondly i know the urgency of the situation how sexual abuse leaves you broken and crushed and it only takes a person who has felt the intensity of your pain to be able to make this happen so um i tried as much as i could to carry you know enough people on board at first it wasn't easy because then you realize that not everybody carries your vision or your purpose like you carry it and you have to keep praying about it and um and then i thought about it i was i schooled in the u.s by the way so i had to come home which was like a big deal for me because i felt like this is where my target audience is this is a community nigeria is a community where nobody pays attention to cases of sexual abuse for the most part of it we've had lots of silence culture where you get raped by your cousin your family tells you not to spoil the name of the family lots of things like that and i just felt like you know it has to be nigeria and it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision for me to take it wasn't an easy decision for me to take sorry because i was like okay there's no way i'm traveling across across seas and miles just to come back to the place that i left and you know the nigeria thing is never going back home which was not my plan anyways but um i just wasn't thinking that i was going to come home that early amazing so if i heard you clearly you said you have been a victim of sexual abuse a victim of yes okay um i i, I really want us to go back a little bit because i know it's been a whole lot for you so how who when did it begin okay so my first rape was when i was four it was a neighbor i was uh left in the house i grew up in makoko so it was a local community and um <clears throat> yeah so my my dad was working and my mom was not in the house but then um a, rebel, a neighbor came into our apartment and um forcefully had his way with me when my mom got back I was bleeding and I had semen over my body and um she said about that she alerted the neighbors they they uh they that was the first time and it was they didn't figure out the person but they were not really able to do anything i guess because i think he ran off or whatever but that was like my first experience of being a victim of sexual abuse i was raped when i was four and it's kind of traumatizing because the memory wouldn't go away sometimes i manage the situation well i don't cry as much as i used to but it's kind of like tough but then um the second time i was seven i was spending the holiday at my uncle's well not my uncle's my grandma's older sister but then she had her sons over so the second to the last child the obviously was my uncle and i was molested touching up properly and it's kind of funny right it's not exactly funny but it's kind of breaking i think that's the right word so yeah i'm trying to try as much as 
as I can, not to ruin the section with my tears, but so help me God. <laughs> yeah, so the third one, um, I uh, moved in with my parents because I used to stay with my grandma. I moved in with my parents when I was nine. So when I moved in with them, uh, was when I start I started going to senior secondary school, junior senior secondary school. So the school was closer to their place. You know how you do common entrance and then they pick a school for you, kind of. I don't know if they still do that right now. So yeah, so I moved in with them. So when I moved in with them, one of my dad's friends was um I'm sorry, I just need to catch my breath a little bit. I was trying to rush through the motion so I don't have to get teary, but it's not really helping. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, when I moved in with them, uh, yeah, when I moved in with them, my dad's friend was already staying with them. It was a room and palace, Selcon, you know, where you have the room, the living room, the toilet, and the kitchen. And um, my friends would stay in the room. I would sleep in the living room with my dad's friend. But I guess they just trusted him. But then, yeah, was ninety when I turned eleven. Sorry, it was abuse. What? what? They said. Um... It was like they trusted him, so it did something from nine till you were eleven. Yes, yes. Every night from when I was nine, well, most of the nights, because sometimes they wouldn't come home, but who cares about that anyways? Sometimes it would molest me. Sometimes it would break me. Even like semen in me, because a couple of times we had to. I started having this terrible stomachache. We visited the hospital a couple of times, but. They couldn't detect anything, ran a couple of te- tests, nothing came up. But yeah, for three years in my parents' house. I can't tell. It's crazy, right? And um, it's kind of funny because my parents didn't figure out again. And um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Th- those three things were, um, sorry, I'm just gonna catch my breath a little bit <laughs> I had a very rough childhood but yeah that was just pretty much it you know to go through all this you know it's something nobody should go through actually and you know one thing I'm very glad with is that in as much as sometimes this this memory still um, keeps you teary, you have um, found a way of living beyond it, living above it. So you said while you were with your parents, they didn't figure out, and you didn't tell. No, them. no, no. No. Um. Well, okay. So my mom, they found out when I was sixteen, but I didn't tell them. You know how you're a little girl and then you have a diary, sort of, I think almost everybody reacts that that one time. And then you're writing all those 
mini petty little things. So I kind of wrote everything that I remember about my abuse. My parents were, they were workers, like they really, they were not government workers to start with, but you know, they really were the go out early, come back late kind of parents. And um, they didn't, they were never around much um, during the afternoons, you know. It's just me come back from school, uh, freshen up, get something to eat, play out with friends, wait till they come back and all of that. So anyways, when I was 16, I was already done with senior secondary school and um, I, my brothers, they moved in with us because my siblings were staying with my grandparents. I was the only one who moved in with my parents. So, so I took my siblings to school and um, I left my diary under the clothes that I used to sleep and um, I think my mom found it and then she read through it and I just got back in the house and I saw them crying. I was like okay who passed on? I actually asked who passed on because um, I mean I just took my brothers to school couldn't have been my brothers and it's none of them and then my mom started asking me questions about what happened da 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 and I explained everything to her. And um, she was pissed, she was offended. I don't know, I, I mean, I'm not in my emotions, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't. We didn't want so much people to know. We didn't want so much people to know. And um, they, they called my, dad's other friend and one of my uncle and then the friend who did it and uh, the only verdict that they could say was he should stay away from the family that would never make sense to me anyways so yeah that was pretty much it my parents found out when I was 16 from reading my diary not from examining my body or from figuring out anything yeah wow. and then they, they found out when I, I in the diary I actually put in it the four um, the four year old um, incident and they were like if I can still remember that one then this definitely happened and then sometimes I would ask also oh, if I didn't put that one would it mean that this didn't happen but you know it's all past now I guess well it's not exactly past anyways but I mean I forgiven them for that yeah. It was such a very horrible experience and I can imagine a nine-year-old girl having to go through all this all by herself and um, the people that are supposed to even you know guide you are the ones that would take advantage of you imagine your parents bringing this man to stay with you guys probably don't even have a an accommodation to stay and then what he could do was to molest their child, their child. It's so horrible. So, um, how did you? I know, you know, we can't get past it. We can't just move like nothing has happened. Well, how have you moved forward? How have you healed? Would you say you have healed, or you are still in the process of healing? And if it's a process, what have you? Yeah. What have you been doing? Okay, so I, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't healed. 
and um, it's just like having a very big injury it's like it leaves a scar and every time that you look at the scar you remember the incident so um, I think going to school outside of the country was very helpful because I was able to get out of the space and get exposed to um, uh, a very secure space because um, when I was in school I had the opportunity to visit um, a therapist which is not I don't think that's a service that is very much available in our country and um, so from there I was able to pick up and um, I would be honest the section with the therapist probably helped me like 15, 15% of a hundred the rest I had to self you about 35% um, added to the 15% was just by talking to God. I don't know how other people who have experienced this, I've, over, I've overcome it. But for me, it was more about talking to God. There were days where I would stay in my closet and cry myself out because it happened and I couldn't do anything about it. And the memories wouldn't just go away. It was very tough for me. And then um, I moved from, I didn't stop praying, but I found coping mechanism. Whenever the thoughts would come up, um, I would either draw, um, I tried playing an instrument, you know, a musical instrument. Um, I also started solving puzzles, the puzzle books, I started doing that just to make sure that I'm not drowning in the thoughts. So it's usually, it won't, sometimes I take three steps ahead and I move one step backwards because it's not entirely easy when you remember that you were violated by the people that you supposedly trust the most or maybe they trusted them to protect you it's very tough it breaks a part of you that you could never fix i tell people that it's very tough to recover from it i am not going to pretend like it is not tough it is hard because anything any little thing triggers the memory of it and once you have a trigger you become a mess. You are literally thinking your life out. You're like, why did this happen to me? Why did it stop? Why didn't somebody do something? Why do I feel so much pain? Why was I, why was I put through all of those? And I think managing the foundation and um, offering, offering um, therapist sections to people who have been through the same situation and helping them figure out, you know, how to navigate through life. I think that has been helpful too for every time that I, um, that I help a person who has been a victim, I feel a little bit of hope and a little bit of light. Um, but I think that one of the greatest way in which I've been able to hold on is because I've realized that out of out of whatever it is that happened to me, I've been able to find purpose because I feel very fulfilled every time that I'm on the mission field and helping victims like myself or survivors like myself. So um, it's very tough and it has affected my romantic relationship lots of times. Um, and that's kind of like tough for me when you realize that you can you can keep emotions or you can be affectionate towards a person because of what another person did to you. So yeah, it's it's a process.
but it's just about distracting yourself, about trusting God, about not letting yourself drown in whatever happened to you. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Winke, for sharing this with us. But the truth is that I've always just heard about um, rape victims. I've never had the opportunity to talk to them. I just know nobody should be raped. I know that. But, you know, talking to you, I can see the havoc rape does to a person. Not even just rape, even being molested. I can, you know, I can only imagine what it can do. And thank God you actually found God. Thank God for the opportunity to find passion and purpose. Even despite all of this. Because I can imagine someone, you know, who doesn't have God or is just in that place. How traumatic it can be for such a person. At least you were able to see a therapist and, and you know, to an extent it uh, must have helped i want to ask mm-hmm. that um, um sometimes they say that when the the rapist is apprehended it helps the you know the victim like when you say okay my rape my rapist have been have been arrested does it really help actually Yes, yes, it does. Um, I th- okay, so th- there's this thing that people say, forgive and forget. Sometimes you forgive, but you can't forget. And I, I would personally, I don't know about others, I'm going to be honest. In the case of my situation, I've not forgiven so much and I can never forget it. And... Um, Every day I try to be in the consciousness of the fact that I want to forgive this person so I can move on because unforgiveness is not a good spirit to have. But then it ought when you think about it. But I do believe, actually, strongly believe that it is very helpful when victims or survivors see their predictors um, getting what they deserve. For me, I think it would have been very helpful if my dad's friend was not just told to stay away from the family. He should have gotten a test of his own medicine, maybe rot in jail, maybe, um, I don't know, get dragged down the street by a horse, something very, very, very painful. It helps, it, it helps victims when they see that the person who did whatever he did or she did to them it's not walking around the street scot free it helps them feel a sense of safety security that oh this person who up me cannot do it to somebody else and he did it to me and he would not do it to me or she would not do it to me again so yes it does help to see that you know such people are getting what they deserve, not just allowed to roam the streets freely because who knows what else they could do. Because I believe once a rapist, there is a very high probability that you'll keep being that person because nobody tried to stop you or nobody told you that you should not do it or nobody gave you punishment that would make you stop doing it. So yeah, I think that's it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Funke, for sharing this with us. And um, 
I also want to ask that since you've started the foundation and then you've been you know, telling anyone that Facebook here, does talking about it, does it help in any way? Well, it's, it's, um, are you talking about me or for the victims? Talking about my story or they talking about their story? You as a person that I've gone through, you know, having to have been oh. a So talking about your experience, probably sharing with people, do you think it has a way of helping now? Yes, yes. Um, for me, it gives me a sense of relief. Because being able to talk about it for me means that I'm letting go gradually. Because when I keep it in my head, it's just all over the place and it's not helping. And I think that for other people, it's helpful for them because they're able to see that somebody has journeyed through the rough path that they've had. So, yes, I think that um, either talking about it or listening to it is helpful in both cases. Um, but um, sometimes people, when you're attending to people, they really don't want to hear your story. And other people sometimes don't want to talk about their story. They just need a little bit of time to go through the motions of the things that they've been through because it's sort of like a lot. So, yeah, that's it. Okay, so we can say that um, the healing process for individuals differ. Some people want yes. to talk about their story. And some just want to, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Some right. just want to cry. Yeah. Some just want you to be glancing at them. Some want to write it in a book. They don't want to open their mouth to say it. Yeah, it's different for for everybody. I was I had an interview with someone too, and she was saying that allow people to grieve the way they want and then yes. project a particular way of healing to people and say because mm -hmm. this has worked for me it must it also must work for you too it's different stroke for different folks yes that's true that's very true like um as therapists we will tell we will tell individuals that you're allowed to Whatever we say to you, we think it's best for you. However, you're allowed to pick what is preferable for you. There are people that when they, um, when they finally get to put themselves together to see somebody to help them out, they really don't need your sympathy. They really don't want you to say, oh, I'm sorry you went through all of those. They really, really do not want it. They just want to sit and be glancing at you. And you, you they just want you to say, everything would be fine and sometimes even when you say everything would be fine that that's a trigger for them because then they start to say so why did it happen if everything is going to find that, 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 that so you just um you just need to um learn to see through their emotions and see that oh this person a suitable way to allow them grief is by you know just leaving them or maybe talking a little bit more so yes different strokes for different folks yeah um and um yeah, um, also there are things that we call triggers. So um, triggers are situations that um, get to people that enables them re um, remember incidents. So we try as much as we can to um, avoid triggers with victims of all survivors. So yeah, it's just best to let people do things the best way 
that they want to. It's just like losing a person. There are people that when they lose a person, they will cry their eyes out. And the other people that they will just be looking at you. So yeah, it's pretty much like that. Okay, so for everyone listening, you've heard from Unken, you know, allow survivors to express, to choose how they want to heal by themselves. As long as they want to help them, want to sympathize with them, you know, sometimes they don't want your sympathy. They just want you to be there to listen. They just want you to be there to stare at them and to know that you are there for them. Okay. And um, we are going to the end of the interview now. So I want to ask, what would you give, what would be your advice to someone who has gone through rape or is currently being raped by, by a loved one and then does not have the ability to talk out? Okay, so my suggestion usually is that... Um, if you're going through this, this, all of this, or you've been, okay, let's start with, if you're going through it, it is usually very advisable for you to speak out because in this case, actually, a closed mouth is most likely going to be a very close destiny. Because if you don't talk, that's like, that's one way that you might never find help. But also, it matters the people that you're talking to don't talk to people who are in the circle of there's nothing that you can do about it uh, no talk to the right people see people who are experienced about it also um legally if you're going through this usually when you go to the nigerian police force they ask for proof of penetration if you're being raped which to now doesn't add up to me but if you're able to get, get proof it would be helpful in persecuting the person um, so yeah try as much as you can to speak out talk to the right people because there are people who aid rape by telling you not to talk about it or telling you you're going to ruin the family's name or you're going to ruin your reputation but if you've been through this and it's kind of like a tough time for you moving on I suggest that you get help uh, mentally, psychologically, and then that you have a close relationship with God. Because what I found out is that in situations like this, nobody would understand your pains, your grief, your inadequacies, or your questions, except God. So uh, um, this is not even perspired to acquire, that's just what worked for me. Try as much as you can to write and talk to people who knows about it seat in a prayer closet if you want to um, play an instrumental sometimes you don't even need to play a song to talk to god you can just talk to him like you're talking to a friend more importantly seek help seek professional help from people who are able to help you recover from the moment so yeah that's pretty much it oh thank you so much i'm sure our listeners they've learned a thing or another from this episode as well and and for everyone that has you know is still going through the trauma of what has happened in the past i pray that um we find healing i pray god's god's comfort will comfort us and then um, before you go funke i would like you to your foundation is it open to anyone 
how can people read yes, it? Yes, it is. Okay, so um, you could just check us out on Instagram, Echoes Foundation, just at Echoes Foundation. Um, yeah, that's pretty much a good way to start. Uh, I think even my contact would be a little bit extreme. Oh yeah, you can check me out on IG as well. Olowa Funke underscore Ajoba. So yes. Or you could, I don't, is it okay for me to call out the helpline? Yeah, amazing fun. Okay. So you could also reach us on our helpline. It's an international number, by the way. So, but it's always available on WhatsApp. Plus 1773-459-4518. So, um, plus 1773-459-4518. Uh, no, I just forgot. Sorry. Plus one seven seven three four five nine four five one eight. Yes. Um. Um. I don't know if your audiences um audiences available on social media platform, right? They are right. Yes. Okay. So yeah, they could just reach us on Instagram Echoes Foundation or my personal Instagram Olu underscore Ajoba, and then that way we could um, offer our professional services. Oh, thank you so much, Okay, You are doing a very amazing job. Thank you for finding purpose even in your pain. Thank you for not allowing anything drag you down. I know how it can be. I, I, that I know. I can only imagine how it can be. But thank you for being a victor. Thank you for sharing your story with everyone that's here to hear. Thank you for making even people that have gone through so many challenging situations in their life know that, you know, if that's not where they should stay. As long as it keeps pulling them back, you know, there's still something, there's still a glimpse of hope for everyone in every situation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kemi. I really appreciate it. Hmm. You have heard from Funke, and you can conclude truly that she's truly a victor. Thank you so much, Funke, for your time. In conclusion, I would like to say that sometimes pain is gold, and it depends on how you mine it. In my interview with people, I've seen how people have turned pain into refined gold. I hope you also find strength to move forward and hope to hold on to the glimpse of light. Thank you so much for listening again. I hope you have a wonderful April. Bye!